Great is your steadfast love, a prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godless. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. <sighs> oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life. And they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because of you. Lord, have helped me and comforted me. We do come before you and we recognize that there is none like you. Father, you are Lord God, creator of heaven and earth, creator of us. You are majestic. You are powerful. Lord, you are all-knowing, all-loving. Father, we just want to say thank you for taking us on a journey, Father. We ask that you would guide and direct us this day, Lord, as we seek your face. Lord, as we worship you, as we hear from your word, uh, God, we, we do pray that you would open our heart, Father, and ask that, uh, uh, Lord, that you would grant us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and lives to live uh, for you, Lord. Uh, God, we just want to say uh, thank you for this day that John and, and Sophie come. As John shares, Father, we just pray that you would be with him. God, we ask that you would guide him. Father, um, Lord, we just uh, we just ask that you would open up your your heart, Lord, to us and uh, guide us, Lord. We just thank you for this opportunity to worship you, uh, Lord. Thank you so much. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our place. Thank you, Lord, that you bring us all together on this glorious Sunday morning. Adults, children, students, senior citizens, all of us, Lord, we belong to you. And we gather today around your son, 
Jesus meets us in moments of discouragement, hopelessness, illness, and sometimes the loss of a loved one. Jesus always gives us joy and encouragement, strength, and especially purpose, Lord, for our lives. Bless our church today, Lord. May the Holy Spirit fill this building with the goodness of our Savior. May we feel the love around us. We sing hymns of praise, and may they rise to your throne and glorify you, Father. We recognize you as the giver of all life, almighty God, refuge, strength, hope when we don't see any. We bend our knees to worship you. Let us block the trivia in our lives to pursue your will for us. May we meet you in the quiet moments of life. May today's scripture reach our hearts and totally set us on new paths of service for your kingdom. Bless those on the mission field, Father, for carrying the world to the lost. Bind us together, Lord, so we can stand firmly against evil that fills our culture today. We lean on you for protection and guidance. Thank you, Lord, for your word and all the blessings, large and small, that you have given to us. We love you, Father. We are your people. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's been quite an eventful week. Exhausting week, but in a good way. All good things. It has been a wonderful time getting to know some of you. And by some, I don't mean uh, that therefore it wasn't, meet, it wasn't good to meet others. Uh, it has been good meeting everyone that we have had the opportunity uh, to meet. And so by some, I mean that it's sad uh, that time could not have possibly allowed us to meet uh, with everyone. So I know there are some I haven't even had the opportunity to uh, walk up to and shake hands even, or even say a word to. And so I just wish we could have had more time, but nevertheless, <clears throat> it has been a wonderful time hearing what is in your hearts, seeing your love for one another in this church. And Sophie, the kids and I have been so blessed by your hospitality, your generosity, your encouragements all throughout the week. So on behalf of Sophie and myself, thank you. And I also want to say that no matter how the vote goes today, uh, even if you decide that I may not be the best fit for your next senior pastor, I want you to know that we love you. And we leave here with lifelong friends. And we both uh, mean that from the bottom of our hearts. So with that, I now invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. <clears throat> book of Philippians chapter 1. And by way of quick review, 
We are continuing this series in Philippians titled Rejoice in All Things. And last week we began a two-part message looking at verses 12 and following through the end of the chapter. And the title of last week's sermon and this morning's is All for Christ. And last week we looked at the example of Paul as he calls us to have an all for Christ attitude in our sufferings. And this morning we will consider his example and hopefully heed his call to have an all for Christ ethos in our living and in our dying. And so let us begin this morning by reading this portion of scripture, which we are considering, and let us do so again by beginning in verse 12 of chapter 1 and reading through the end of the chapter. So Philippians 1, starting in verse 12, where God's inerrant, infallible, and sufficient word which he has spoken to us here through the pen of the Apostle Paul reads, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. <clears throat> and Father, 
Paul speaks of a conflict that he had 2,000 years ago. And it is a conflict that we have to this day. Lord, in this evil generation, as all previous, because there is nothing new under the sun, there are those around us that are blind to the gospel, that are hostile to the gospel. And they need the gospel. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us all a greater and greater manifestation of this all for Christ spirit. Lord, that we would honor you in our suffering, that we would honor you in our living, that we would honor you in our death. For your glory and for the advancement of the kingdom. And Father, we ask you now that you would bless and empower the preaching of your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Edmund Calamy, who was a 1600s Presbyterian pastor, once said to his congregation, quote, Beloved, if you are to reign with Christ when you die... He must reign in you while you live. Close quote. Here, Calamy is referring to 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 13, uh, through 13, where Paul writes, The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Edmund, like Paul in 2 Timothy 2, is reminding the people that the Christian life is different from that of any other that is in the world. It is characterized by behaviors and attitudes that are quite opposite from the natural mind. The Christian is called to die daily, to pick up his or her cross and follow Christ. To denounce worldly passions. To love and pray for their enemies. To put others before themselves. And to put Christ above all else. Christ is Lord. And that reality should permeate every aspect of your life. Again, Paul said in 2 Timothy, if we have died with him. Right? We must die to ourselves before we can live with him, meaning you must be born again in order to live a Christian life which is empowered by the life giving power of the Holy Spirit. This reality is pictured in the ordinance of baptism, is it not? Uh, Romans 6 4 would say, uh, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The Christian is a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. New desires, new passions, new realities, new perspectives, new battles, but great rewards await those who persevere to the end. We will be with Christ these realities were exemplified in the Apostle Paul. 
Christ reigned in the apostle while he lived, and his all for Christ ethos has been captured in the pages of Holy Scripture to be an example to us. We have already considered his all for Christ attitude and suffering as he pens this letter while imprisoned in Rome. And notice now with me the all for Christ ethos in living. An all for Christ ethos in living. Picking up in verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ. Stop right there. The greatest desire this Christ servant has in the midst of his suffering, and if you remember from last week, he is suffering from within and from without, from overt enemies of the gospel and covert ones who profess Christ and preach the gospel. But his greatest desire in the midst of all of it is that Christ would be honored. He says, quote, in my body, whether by life or by death, that is to say, in all aspects of my life, up to and including my death. This is an all for Christ ethos that is all inclusive from the time of conversion to final breath. And I want you to notice four ways that this all for Christ ethos in living is expressed in this text. Or in other words, here are four things which embody what it means when the apostle says to live is Christ. And number one, to live is Christ is to faithfully labor in gospel ministry. Look at verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Paul may have been in prison, but people were his priority. He had a heart that longed to see souls saved and to see saved souls grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived with an eternal perspective. Like a soldier in a war, he was about the mission. The battle wasn't over until it was over. In John 9, 4, Jesus tells us, We must work the works of him who sent, uh, who sent me while it is day, for night is coming when no one can work. And in Matthew 9, verses 36 and 37, Matthew writes, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Those were the words of our Lord. And by the way, this was a driving factor in the Apostle Paul's offer Christ ethos in laboring in gospel ministry. Just like Jesus, he had compassion for the people, a love for the people, a desire for humanity to flourish and glorify God. And it was this compassion and love that led to his struggle that we see in this text. To live is Christ and to die is gain. But then there's a struggle that he faces. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. 
yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. When I first became a believer, I had a good friend who had been a believer for a long time, and he would often say things like, I just wish I would die soon so I could go home, so I could go to heaven and be with Christ. And while I agreed that I wanted to be with Christ, I wasn't ready for death. Uh, first of all, I had just now come alive. I was new a believer at the time, right? I was, new, I was a new creation in Christ. I was starting a new life, and I wasn't ready for it to end. It took me a while to come to the point where I both understood fully what he was saying and likewise had some of those desires. I'm sure you can all relate. After a few years of fighting sin, struggling with the daily battle of mortify, mortifying the desires of the flesh, living out Romans 7, right? The things that I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. I came to understand. I came to desire to depart and be with Christ. In fact, I've had personal worshipful moments where had an unbeliever heard what I was saying to God in prayer at the time, I would have been involuntarily admitted to a 48-hour behavioral analysis. And that's where I've been since. I so long for the moment when either Christ comes back or I go to be with Him. However, being a husband and a father, I also struggle with the desire to remain and be with them. To see my kids grow and live full lives and be an influence all along the way and be an example and teach them and prepare them and hopefully, Lord willing, see them come to the faith. And my wife, I want to labor beside her in that endeavor and I love her and love being with her. We enjoy each other and all the gifts that come along with marriage, except for sanctification. <clears throat> That's not fun. But because I love these things, I struggle with that desire to depart. I want to depart, but I also want to remain. But my study in this text uh, over the last two weeks uh, has shown me that there is another level in that struggle for which I should be striving for. And I was really convicted about this and want to share this with you. I came to realize that my desire to depart comes from a place of selfishness. I want my pains to end. I want my glorified body I want my battles with sin to be no more. I want to be with Christ. Do you see that? It has all been about me. But that was not the case with the apostle. His desire to depart comes beneath. Or perhaps even at equal level. 
with his desire to remain for the purpose of laboring in the gospel. Verse 23. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with y'all, as we would say. But notice how much of a struggle this was for Paul. Right? He says, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. And the first thought that comes to my mind is that if departing and being with Christ is far better, why is he that hard pressed? Easy choice, it seems, right? And very interesting thing to notice here. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He thinks he has a choice in the matter. Now, how could that be? And so the way that I'm understanding Paul here is, he is saying, I want to depart and be with Christ because that is better for me. And I believe I can so work out my situation in such a way that it will result in my execution and fulfill that desire. I mean, he is in prison. What else would make him believe that he has a choice in the matter whether he will remain in labor or go on to be with the Lord? Look at it, verse 21 and 22. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. He really thinks he has a choice. And to say that he is only speaking of his personal preference in the secret feelings of his mind doesn't really make sense to me. Especially because he, go on, he goes on to say in verse 25 that he is convinced of his choice. And he knows because of that that he will remain and labor longer. And so he really did think that he had a say in the matter, and I believe this is why. He was waiting for trial. He knew that at some point he would stand before the most powerful man in the world and give an account to Emperor Nero, a man who perhaps fancied himself a god, or at the least was worshipped as god by some, a man of whom Tertullian, the Second century church father wrote, quote, At Rome, Nero was the first who stained with blood the rising faith. Close quote. He was a man who would go on to persecute the church and murder Christians in brutal ways to include tying them at the stake, lining these brothers and sisters up in his palace garden and burning them alive in order to provide nightly illumination. And though that persecution had not yet begun at the time that Paul uh, penned this letter, those cruel tendencies in the emperor were widely known. By the time Paul was writing this letter, Nero had already had his own mother murdered and was known to execute his rivals amongst many other things. One historian says that as early as 55 AD, that being five years before Paul's imprisonment here, 
Nero had already lost all sense of right and wrong. And so why would Paul think that he had the ability to choose between living or dying? And actually mentioning that fact in this letter, apart from committing suicide, which does happen with frequency in prisons, the only thing I can imagine is that he was smart enough to know exactly how to push Nero's buttons and force his hand to sentence him to death. Not a hard thing to do with someone who is so corrupted by love of self and love of power, is it? And so, if Paul were to take that route, he would die as a martyr, honor the faith, and depart with Christ. So that is why he knew he had that choice. So on one hand, force the hand of the emperor and die a martyr's death. And that is why I don't believe suicide would have even been an option. Because even in his desire to die, he would have done it with a desire to build up the faith through something like martyrdom. And so on one hand, die as a martyr and go and be with Christ, which is far better. Or on the other Continue to live and be far better in ministering to others. It was a difficult choice to make. And he chose to be more selfless than selfish because the better option, that being to depart and be with Christ, was far more focused on self rather than on others. The desire to depart and be with Christ can be, to an extent, selfish, but to, des but to desire to remain for the purpose of serving Christ and His people, that is selfless. To have this desire to remain for that purpose. And I say for that purpose because there can, likewise, be selfish desires that make you want to remain instead. But to remain for the, for the gospel ministry purpose is more Christ-like than to want to depart and be with Christ. And so, beloved, to die is gain. And we look forward to that. But what we need to see and what we need the Holy Spirit to write upon our hearts and what has personally been impressed upon me the most in this study is that to live is Christ. Do you see that? I think we often focus on the fact that to die is gain. But then perhaps see the former statement as being less than to the point that we see it as to live is worthless. But what the apostle is saying is that they are both gain. They are both good. To die is gain for you, Christian, but to live is Christ is still gain to you, but in addition to your fellow man through your continuing on in faithful gospel ministry. And so that is what I myself have been confronted with. That my desires to depart have been selfish. 
And I need to grow in my desire to remain and labor and love and pour myself out for the people of God and for the lost, hoping to see them come to faith. And so the apostle came to that conclusion, verses 24 and 25. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. And so he has made his decision. He is convinced by his convictions. And now he has that hopeful, prayerful expectation that we spoke of last week as far as his actual release goes. And so the offer Christ ethos in living is expressed through a faithful laboring in ministry. Number two, this offer Christ ethos is characterized by a progression in sanctification and growing in joy. Paul says in verse 25, convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And as the apostle continues on in gospel ministry, he continues on in his personal path to sanctification as well. <clears throat> Himself desirous to grow in Christ and in the joy of Christ. Look two chapters ahead with me. Uh, look at uh, Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so he lives with this reality in his mind because he has an all for Christ ethos in living. And therefore, he also charges the Philippians to do the same. And we are therefore called to do likewise. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1 and look beginning in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten 
that he was cleansed from his former sins. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Romans 12 would consider our sanctification our spiritual worship, telling us that we should present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And as we do that, we grow in our sanctification. We grow in our keeping of Christ's commandments, and we grow in our joy. John 15, verses 10 and 11, our Lord says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So, progress in the faith, maturing your knowledge and Christ-likeness and joy, that is part of an all-for-Christ ethos in living. Number three, Christ-honoring behavior. Christ-honoring behavior. Uh, go back to Philippians 1. And look at verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is such a powerful statement, is it not? And a very high calling. How should we comport ourselves in every aspect of our lives? In a way that is honoring to the degree of the value of the whole of Jesus' humiliation in taking on humanity, living a perfect, sinless life, offering himself as a sacrifice for his enemies, dying, resurrecting, ascending to heaven, and now sitting at the right hand of the Father, awaiting to return and make all things new. I mean, how valuable is all that? And the way in which we live our lives, we are called here to reflect that. That is the high calling that an all for Christ ethos in living calls us to. And there is much more that can be said there. But I think just pondering that statement alone should leave us in wonder and have us and and have us really consider am i living in a manner worthy of those realities number 4 an all for christ ethos in living calls for the nurturing of a commendable christian community it calls for the nurturing of a commendable christian community Verse 27 again, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel 
and not frightened by anything by your opponents. As Christians, we are to strive not just to live a life that is worthy of the gospel individually, but collectively. We should strive to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, as we strive side by side for the gospel in this dark world amongst all the evils that are in it. Grow in your love for one another, EBC. For that is how the world will know that you are Christ's disciples. And so, an all for Christ ethos and living is characterized by, by a laboring in gospel ministry, a progressing in the faith and in joy in your faith, personal Christ-honoring behavior, and the nurturing of a commendable Christian community. Again, there is so much more that could be said and that I would like to have had the opportunity to unfold for you that is in this text, but time will not allow. And so for the sake of time, I just want to spend a few minutes looking at the last heading of this two-part sermon, that being an all-for-Christ expectation in our dying. An all-for-Christ expectation in our dying. I think some of us needed the reminder this morning that a desire to remain might be what we ought to desire out of a more selfless desire to continue on in the mission of Christ. But I think there might be some here this morning that really need to be reminded and comforted with the reality that to die is gain. Because I wonder if there are any of you Christians here this morning who are terrified at the thought of dying. And so you cling to this life as if there was not, there was not another one after this one. And if that's you, beloved, what you struggle with is unbelief or selfishness. But unbelief, if you are scared, if you are doubting that indeed the second you close your eyes here in this world, you will open up your eyes in the other and immediately be with Christ, that is the reality. Right? All pain gone. All suffering come to an end. Sin no more raging within you. To die is gain. And as Paul said, in 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that Lord of yours died for you, suffered for you, humiliated himself for you, and bore the wrath of God that you deserve for every single sin that you have ever committed or yet will commit. And he loves you and is preparing a place for you. And he works all things out for your good. He is sovereign over all. 
He has defeated death. And you and I can look death in the eye and ask of it, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And have full confidence that death is swallowed up in victory. You have nothing to fear, dear Christian. Not death itself. Not the manner of death that the Lord has already ordained that you will go through. You have nothing to worry about. And you have all of Christ to gain. Revelation 21.4 He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Free yourself of your fears. Trust in your good Lord and Savior. Believe that to die is gain. And friends, if you are here this morning and you are not a Christian, whether you are currently afraid or not afraid of death, you should be. If you die an unrepentant sinner, this gracious Lord that I have been speaking of will merely be your exacting judge. But you are here today. It is not too late today, but it may be too late tomorrow. Confess your sins to God. Turn from your life of sin. Surrender to Christ. Ask Him for a new heart. Beg Him for mercy, and He will be merciful to you too. And you can then become a partaker in all of these blessings that we have been speaking of this morning. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. To die can also be gained for you starting now, friends. And on the same coin, on the other side of it, to live can be Christ. So this is a picture of what it mean, of what it means to live and all for Christ's life in our suffering, in our living, and in our dying. I want to close this morning with the words of John Newton's hymn called Perseverance. He writes, Rejoice, believer, in the Lord, who makes your cause his own, the hope that's built upon his word can never be overthrown. Though many foes beset your road and feeble is your arm, your life is hid with Christ and God. Beyond the reach of harm, weak as you are, you shall not faint or fainting shall not die. Jesus, the strength of every saint, will aid you from on high. Though sometimes unperceived by senses, Faith sees him as always near, a guide, a glory, a defense. Then what have you to fear? As surely as he overcame and triumphed once for you, 
so surely you that love his name shall triumph in him too. May we all grow in our ability to rejoice in all things. As we grow in an all for Christ mentality, in our suffering, in our living, and in our dying. This is what it means for Christ to reign in us so that we can then reign with him. Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe at the glory of your gospel. That Christ would die for his enemies. And that because of his work, you would see it fit to adopt us into the royal family and equip us to be your servants, to be your mouthpieces, to be vehicles for the life-giving message that has the power to overcome all darkness in this world. We pray, Father, that you would help us all to grow in our knowledge, to grow in our love for people, to grow in that mentality that, like the Apostle Paul had, is all. For Christ. Help us, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.